Patience and faith. Those are the key words. And standing in your power and knowing your purpose and keeping your why in front of you 24-7. We'll work for podcasts. We'll work for podcasts. Well, everyone, welcome back to We'll Work for Podcast. As always, I'm Daniel Thornton, joined by... Uh, Brendan Bowen. <laughs> Forgot there for a second, did you? And uh, yeah, so Marie, you know, what an interesting interview that was. I really didn't uh, see where that was going in the in the beginning, like how it was going to connect back to work. And like, that's where we were trying to say. But I will say... I had an interesting experience with finding my color orange, as she stated in like the interview. And that was me trying to go through my review and think of all the good things I've done within the last few months. And it's really weird because I don't think intrinsically for me, I don't know how other people fu function in their jobs, but I usually focus on the bad stuff and not the good stuff. Like, oh, I did this really well. It's more of, oh, I, I did this wrong. And so that's, that's all that matters. Like the good stuff really doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like you fixate, you fixate on the, on the things that you want to change. Right. I fixate on the stuff that I want to change or that I don't think is perfect or things along that nature. You know, like we've talked about this before in the past, like being a detail oriented person, I struggle with that. So I never, and my boss really, um, did a good job of pointing this out. It's like, let's not, let's be cognizant of pointing out when you did something that was good, that was detail oriented, which is hard because it's kind of supposed to be the ghost in the background. Like if you do it well, nobody notices, but if you don't do it, then everyone notices. So yeah, that's uh that I thought about that a lot this week. Yeah, positive praise has like a big impact, especially if you normalize that within a team. Uh, I I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit, even for yourself. Right. I mean, uh, I I didn't I didn't try the exercise though. I I was trying to think about like what color would would represent kind of my mm. my space. You know, right? I get I get with Marie <laughs> like she was talking about orange because she really like that's her vibrancy in her space. Makes me think about when 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 we went into lockdown a couple years ago. And the right. difference of our home, um, we we started to 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 plump plump plant 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 plant. It doesn't <laughs> matter. We got a bunch of like you know <laughs> the flora of our of our ah, living room space. Anyways, you uh, jungleized your living room space. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Everyone should uh, check out the disclosure <laughs> set. The first beginning of pandemic versus the end of it, and it was funny because they literally just like the ferns and the tall trees, right? It, you know. I know that a lot of people did that, but that that's like the first thing that I thought of when she was talking about that example of, you know, surround yourself with things that, that bring that sense of joy and brightness and whatever, especially in your environment. So, you know, if y'all have a desk, add a cactus, you know, that's all I'm saying. Or, or pathos. I like pathos. Really good oxygen. Here's our rejection letter of the week. It comes from Reddit. It was posted by you lay down Larry and it says, dear blank. Thank you for your interest in our social media manager position in our Beverly Hills office. We regret to inform you that we have filled this position. We appreciate your interest in opportunities with us and will retain your information to consideration to, for future openings. 
We wish you the best of success in your employment search. Regards, human resources, and it actually does say company name. Like that's the, <laughs> so it's a form letter that they didn't even bother to change. Hmm. So the guy said, um, it, I, it was just lazy and I agree. I don't know where he was in this process, but, um, it's, uh, it, yeah, that is kind of lazy. At least put the like signature at the bottom of the name that we know it's a real person and not just spit it out by a machine. It's a word, uh, it's a word template that you can just like, you know, file save as, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Everybody out there, like and subscribe. Uh, send us your rejection letters. We'll work for podcast at gmail.com. We have a new landing page, a new website. Check it out. It has all our information. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it is. Make sure you interact with us and uh, on with the show. So we're joined this week by Talia Dendi. She's a personal cancer doula who helps people that have been diagnosed with cancer navigate their cancer journey. And so that's done. I like how she writes this by bridging the gap between the medical and emotional sides of, of their, you know, cancer and their experience and their healing. She's the founder of On the Other Side. She hosts Navigating Cancer Together podcast. And her story has been published in the anthology, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. Uh, 35 cancer survivors share their, their journey. So thank you so much for bringing, you know, your, just your being and your work uh, into our space today. Thank you so much for having me, Brendan. It's a pleasure. And, and, you know, certainly we're not going to ask you necessarily directly about your lived experience with cancer, but, but recognizing that you are a cancer survivor yourself. I am curious, from my understanding, I've always thought of doulas as, as those that are ushering newborns into the world or supporting, you know, women who are pregnant on either, you know, pre-pregnancy, during it or after. So I'm, I'm curious, like with the term and title of cancer doula, like how that came about and what's the mindset with, with that title? Absolutely. I, I love this part. I love explaining it because that's a question I get a lot. Okay. And you're right. Um, most people have heard of birth doulas. And so originally when I started, I was calling myself a cancer coach. And the more I started interacting with people, the more I started helping people and working with people, I said, I'm not coaching people. What I'm doing is a little bit more personal. Um, it were requires more vulnerability and things of that nature. And actually, I'm walking with the clients that I support. So I had really dug into the word doula. And doula is a uh, person who helps another person through a major life change or significant health-related experience. That is definitely cancer. And so that's why I started calling myself a cancer doula, uh, because I'm walking with the people that I support, letting them know that they're not alone. And it's not a one and done kind of thing um, if that's not um, what you want. Of course, you can meet with me for one session, but my hopes and where people will get the most benefit is if we work together for a period of time. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I think one of the things you write about is being kind of a healthcare advocate and, um, and in this way. So like, I, I guess I'd be curious, like, what does that look like? Either the, the customization that you're doing for your, for your clients, or even just like, what, what is the spectrum of care that you're providing? 
That's a great question. So first, I'll start off by saying that I work with people virtually um, and I provide support in some key areas and they are health, first of all, which could be nutrition, exercise, things of that nature, making sure people that are doing the best that they can on their end to heal from the cancer. And then also create certain a certain lifestyle that they continue on after cancer and hopefully remain cancer-free after the treatment. So health, and a very important piece when someone is diagnosed with cancer and just in life general is mindset. That is something that we work on as well. Um, a lot of people, and it's normal, it's a natural, they get this diagnosis and they become depressed full of anxiety, overwhelmed, all of those things. So working on mindset early and often is very important. The other piece is communication. And we all know that um, we're not given a manual about how to talk about cancer. So people tend to shy away. They don't know what to say. They say weird and awkward things. And so just helping people with that communication piece that could be with their worker, you know, where they work. Uh, that could be with their healthcare team, their family, friends, all of that. The other very important piece is helping people to understand their treatment options. And I don't diagnose, I don't tell people what their treatment options are. We talk about what their oncologist and healthcare team has provided to them suggested, you know, that they look at. And we dig really deep in that and figure out what is the best option for them. So in that sense, I am doing the research for them. We talk about it. And then it's empowering them, giving them the credible information to make decisions that are best for them. And then also that includes, you know, helping them with health insurance, medical bills, figuring all of that out. And um, even talking to their provider if if they need that. So going to them, um, to their appointments and things like that, making sure they understand what is being said and making sure they're showing up and advocating for themselves. Yeah, I could see the the benefit of that is like you've had this, this diagnosis or this reality enter your life. And, you know, I know if that was going to happen to me tomorrow, I wouldn't have any idea of where to start. And so having someone that that's gone through that process already and can be that kind of champion for me or with me would be, you know, really powerful. And I guess my thought to that is just like, at what point in your own experience, either during or after, did this idea come to you? Like, when did you kind of know or, or start to build this idea of like, this is what I could, could offer people who are in this moment of need? I would have to say it really came after during, I was paying attention to the things that I needed that I wasn't getting or that weren't available. But going through it, I was trying to get through it. So once I got through it and I was evaluating my life along the way, it became apparent that maybe one of the reasons why I had to go through this was to help other people. I'm a helper by nature. You know, and I always say my purpose found me in this case. And so I would have to say after when the dust settled is when it really became clear that, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm really interested in this um, model that you're talking about, too, because you just said, oh, I do a virtual. We do it virtually. Is that due to the pandemic? And 
has it helped? Like, are you able to reach more people because you're able to do virtual meetings? You know, initially I started out as virtual. I did offer the option for people who were local to go into their appointments with them, but really it's always been virtual. And then to answer your other question, it does allow me to reach more people um, just because people can pull out their phone, they can pull out their iPad, laptop, whatever, and get the support that they need. There's no barriers to transportation. There's no barriers to, you know, having to maintain a certain distance because compromised immune systems and time. You know, you can hop on Zoom or, or whatever at pretty much any time. And so that's a piece where a lot of people feel like they're getting limited support is only being able to talk to their doctor, their nurse navigator, their patient navigator within the confined times of business hours. And so being virtual allows me to reach people when it's convenient for them. Yeah, that's a really big piece because um, my my. Uh... My partner, she works in journalism and she's worked with like the um, virtual healthcare because I know that's like a big push now. And so are you hoping that this this can this trend continues? How do you feel like this should be in the future? Like like what where do you see this developing? You know, I do hope that it continues and it should be a standard of care because everyone does not have transportation. Everyone does not have people to go with them to their doctor's appointments. Everyone doesn't understand doctor speak, you know, and um, I think it's needed. It's necessary. And I've been told that as well. So I really would like for it to become part of the healthcare model and um, be more acceptable by hospitals and clinics and uh, things like that. Because one thing I want people to understand is that the work that I do, I don't replace anyone in anyone's healthcare team. I am complimentary too. I'm addition too. And my focus is on my clients and making sure that, hey, they are getting what they need. And you know, so I really believe that in the future, this needs to be a part of standard of care and there needs to be more reciprocity between the work that I do and the healthcare system. For for you personally, what what has been maybe part of your learning journey as you've entered into, into this professional space? Well, the main thing, Brendan, is that it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it in, involves a lot of networking and things like that. Referrals are really key and word of mouth. Really having good listening skills is critical because a lot of times it starts with cancer, but it evolves into other things that are impacting a person's life. You know, and um, those things don't come out right away. So you have to spend that extra time with people. And then also what I'm finding is that, yeah, you can market, you can get on social media. I do all of those things. But for me, it's something that is evolving organically. Hmm. And for some people that may not, that may not be the route that they want to go, but um, it's good to have, you know, an, some other work that you're doing as well while you build your clientele. So is that kind of like patience and faith? Patience and faith. Those are the key words. And standing in your power and knowing your purpose and keeping your why in front of you 
So how do you, I'm assuming that you have a lot of clients that are from various different backgrounds, beliefs, faiths. How do you deal with those kind of, I'm not, I don't want to say obstacles. They're just like differences between opinions when you're trying to give, you're not, and you don't give vetical advice. You're helping to try to filter it so they understand. And then do you help them filter their understanding of what's going on or help them What's, what am I trying to say? Basically, deal with their emotions and in other different ways from their different cultural backgrounds. I'm just really, really inter- interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so it is important, again, to take the time to get to know people. And um, it's like you have to put in the effort. You can't make it about you. And you made a great point. I don't make decisions for them. I don't tell them what to do. But we just have this conversation. And that's where things come up. This is a space where they can talk about things that they normally wouldn't talk about with their family, their friends, their doctor. It's their fears. It's their worries. It's, you know, um, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And I want to do this in my life, but I've been afraid. And there's all these different things. And so I have to take it on a person by person case. What I do to help one person may not help the other person. And so it takes time. You have to develop those relationships. Now, there are people that come to me and say, hey, I want to research this clinical trial. We do that together and we're done. There are people that I've had as clients for three months or more. So in those instances, in those three months or more, that's where the real magic happens because I'm able to, you know, learn about them, learn more about their background, and then customize my help around who they really are. Yeah. What What is a typical intervention time then or, or, or time that you have with, with most clients? I say typically, I prefer to work with clients for three months um, at least, but I do have options where, like I said, it could be one hourly session. And of course, they can come back if they'd like to. And then I have a one month option and then the three month option. I don't like to go too much beyond three months because sometimes it's hard for people to even see that far. Well, then what for the for the person who's just calling you for the first time, can you kind of take us through what that conversation looks like? Because that seems like a lot to cover in a very short amount of time. And I'm curious how you handle that. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it starts with a free 30-minute call. And during that 30-minute call is where we start to talk about what are like the top two or three things that um, you are having challenges with. And then whatever they share with me in that conversation, that's where the first one-hour call I build on that. So by having that 30-minute call, if they choose to work with me for, say, one hour, one session, after that 30-minute call, I go over what we've covered. And then based on that information, I develop a personalized plan for them. And then in that hour call, I listen some more. Hey, what else do they want to add to this 30-minute conversation that we've already had? And then that allows me to further build out this customized plan for them. Then there's a follow-up email 
and um, a follow-up text message to the one-hour call. And then that's making sure that, hey, they understand what we covered and they're taking action. What is something that people do that you feel is like an oversight or a mistake emotionally when, you know, dealing with this extreme situation that they're going through? I'm sure you've like seen a lot of experience with like how people have made mistakes when they're like, oh, I'm going to do it all alone. Or do they try to like do things that they don't, they shouldn't do? Like they, I'm really curious. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot there. Um, first of all, like you said, thinking that they can do it alone, you can do it alone, but it's going to be a lot harder. I don't recommend it. Always, even if you don't work with me, find someone that you can trust that's going to be there to the end with you, because there's going to be those tough days where you just want to give up and you just need someone to cheer you on. You just need someone to sit with you, to listen non-judgmentally. And so that's very important is to not try to do it alone and you don't have to. The other part is there's still this stigma surrounding cancer. And by that, I mean, people hear cancer and they immediately go to death. And that's, it's understandable, you know, because that's what we hear and what we've been taught when we hear about cancer. But I'd like to encourage people to say, hey, this is a very big challenge in front of me. What do I need to do to get on on the other side of this? Where do I need to start? What makes the most sense for me as an individual? And so I think that's where people really need to start. The other place where people make mistakes is, um, you know, just having this defeatist practice feeling defeated immediately, feeling like they don't have any control. And it actually starts up here. You know, it starts with how you think about things. And mindset, the mind-body connection is so important because if you're depressed all the time, you're angry all the time, you know, um, you're just down all the time, that is uh, suppressing your immune system. Mm. So I'm not saying pretend like you're happy, positive, all these things. What I'm saying is work through those emotions and try not to get stuck there and focus on what you can do. Does, does that end up having kind of a affirmation practice or a way to kind of build in this optimism? It seems like depending on how things progress, that could be challenging. It can be very challenging. And yes, affirmations are very important. Um, Even in my own cancer journey, I created a healing journal where I read daily healing scriptures. I have affirmation cards. I encourage the people that I work with to do journaling and things like that to build up that emotional strength because it's not something that's going to happen right away. Everyone handles it differently. Some people, it takes more time and more effort. Some people, they just step into that right away. And it really just depends on the person. But um, affirmations, journaling, prayer, whatever works for that person. And we'll find out what that is. Yeah, um, that's that's beautiful. And I I appreciate the the ability to make that so personalized because that's I I get that that's an important step. Um, something you just said sparked my curiosity. You know, we talk a lot about workplaces and and really figuring out how to reshape workplaces to make them more inclusive, responsive, just like, you know, affirming all the things that people are needing from, from that community and environment. 
And you mentioned like one of the the things that you talk with your clients about is possibly the, the critical conversation of addressing this with the workplace. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious from what you've experienced or what you've worked with clients on, maybe even your own, like how, how does that conversation go? And what are the big factors in terms of that being a, I guess, a positive response that feels supportive and maybe one that, that could be a challenge? Well, that goes back to understanding the person's environment, the client's environment. And um, if people have a very supportive work environment, it's easy to create these scripts. You know, and that involves knowing ahead of time, how much do you want to share with who, Um, you know, when do you want to share it? Do you want to share it right away? Do you want to wait until you start treatment? Those kinds of things. So thinking about all of those things up front is very important and it helps to reduce the stress. Now, if you have a work environment that's somewhat toxic you don't have a good working relationship with the people you know that you work with then hey we need to create something that's more soundproof maybe you want to start with just your manager and say hey i'm sharing this with you now i don't want to have this broadcast right away and just setting those boundaries so setting boundaries making sure the person that my client is comfortable sharing what they want to share and when how much they want to share and helping them to feel empowered and say, hey, you have the right to share this with whoever you want, when you want, and on the basis that you'd like to share it. And that's what that that portion looks like. That's really interesting because, and now I want to kind of ask a similar question because we, we talked to like a grief counselor last, uh, just like last week, and we were... I asked the question of does does somebody usually quit the, their job when they they've suffered this dramatic loss and they like they push it to the side? I was expecting to hear yes, they usually just get rid of the job and like they try to start something new. And I heard this opposite. And now I'm curious for for those that you've counseled that you've been you've uh, been able to speak with in your clients. Do what happens with their job? Do they usually quit? Like is what have you seen in your experience? I've seen a lot. And I'd have to say it's like 50-50. There's some people that they get this awakening and they say, hey, you know, I've had to stare death in the face, so to speak. You know, I've had to go through all these different things. I want to live the life that I want to live and I want to do what I want to do. The work that I was doing is no longer fulfilling. So there's those people. Mm -hmm. Then there's the other people who say, you know, um, my workplace, I really appreciate it. I missed it when I was out, you know, getting treatment or on disability, whatever that looked like. Or they may say, you know, they were very supportive. I really felt valued. I want to stay there. And so it's like 50-50. For me personally, it was something where I knew that the career I was in prior to being diagnosed with cancer was fizzling out as far as feeling fulfilled. Cancer and my experience, that just shined more light on it and said, hey, it's time to make a change. And so for me, I left, not right away, but I ended up leaving eventually. And so it really depends on the person. And I've seen some in-between also where people reduce their hours. They stay, 
but they say, you know what, I don't want to devote devote 40 to 60 hours a week. I want to have some time to spend with my family, friends, and focus on the things that are important to me. So it really depends on the person. And is there a policy piece that gets tied to that? Like, have you seen policies within these workplaces that are that are best suited to allow for that kind of that uh, choice? Yes, I, you know, I've seen where some workplaces say, "Hey, we're going to support you however we can. Just let us know what you need." And I've seen workplaces where they say, "You know what? We need someone here in a full time role." So we can either put you over here or, you know, let's look at your other options. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I have heard a lot of stories where people have struggled in the workplace. They've left because they felt forced out. You know, um, they've left because they felt like they were no longer valued. They were looked at as a liability instead of an asset. And so it really, really depends on the corporate culture, the culture of that particular workplace. Yeah, that's a really good question because we talk about it all the time, like the support, like mental health, uh, the lack of mental health resources and inside of companies and all those things really just takes a toll on you. And I can imagine you going to your boss and being and being like, I have cancer. And they're like, well, you know, we kind of need somebody who doesn't have cancer. And it's like, come on, man. Like I'm in like the worst possible moment in my life. So, yeah. How do you help? Uh, I, I was going to ask you this before you, you talked about like affirming, um, like affirmational exercises that you could do. What's an affirmation exercise that somebody can do? I'm sure it can be applied to like everyone to help them like really, you know, get through hard times. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I ask my clients to do is start the day you know, looking in the mirror and talking to themselves the way that they would talk to someone that they truly love and that they want to offer support to. So start looking yourself right in the face every day and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm facing cancer, but it doesn't mean that my life is over. It's an opportunity to recreate the life that I would like to have. And I have a shot at this. I have to show up for myself every day. And so having those kind of conversations with yourself, because it's so easy to say, you know what? I feel like crap today. I don't want to do anything. I want to give up. This is hard. Yep, it is hard. Yep, it is. It is crappy. But, you know, think about the things that you can do right now in this moment to uplift yourself the best way that you can. And a lot of times it starts again up here. You have to talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a friend or a loved one. Yeah. Put that positivity out for your, you know, and start, start with that internal work. So that way it mm -hmm. helps. Yeah. Yeah. I talk to myself all the time. So it's, yeah. <laughs> 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 Delay, you know, we, 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 you know, obviously really appreciate you sharing so much of yourself with us today. And if, um, if pieces of this are resonating or if, if there are those out there that are listening that may need this kind of support, where could they work with you? Absolutely. So they can go to my website and it's called ontheotherside.life. 
That's on the other side.life. And they can go there if they're interested and schedule a free 30 minute meet and greet. And as I mentioned, that's where, you know, they just let me know what are some areas where they could use some support. And um, we'll determine at that point if it's a good fit. I'll tell them how I can support them and um, we can start developing our, our relationship at that point. I'm also on social media, they can find me on Instagram on the other side, one seven, uh, Facebook on the other side, cancer doula, and all of that can be accessed from my website. Okay, great. Well, uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't imagine all the stuff she's had to go through with all of her clients and, you know, the turmoil within their jobs and their positions during this incredibly tumultuous time. Yeah, transition. Like no matter what, it's trans it's gonna be formative transition. I, I just think that's where I think the the relationship aspect of that particular role must be really powerful and powerful and challenging, right? Because it yeah, you have to be strong in this moment for others recognizing the adversity that they're you know experiencing. And so I don't know, I I think even just the idea of like the healthcare aspect of of okay, this is as someone who just went through like new healthcare stuff because of, you know, having a child, I'm realizing there's aspects of it that I don't understand. And like she has some things that are happening that that I'm getting told, but I don't get what they are. So I can only imagine in for a lot of her clients, like also that being true, where you're giving options or there's things to discuss and it's like, who would I call, right? I wouldn't have anyone. You might have family members, but they're not doctors. They don't know, like the they don't understand the procedures. And if you could be with her and she could explain something to you, and that's to your point, she explains something to you and it's incredibly hard because I'm sure a piece of her wants to give some sort of like, well, maybe you should do this, but she like intentionally is basically neutral. Yeah. Go through the process of the discernment and then make sure the person what they choose, right? It's not, it's, a, it's not advice giving. Well, I mean, I uh, definitely, definitely appreciate just her being, and it's always funny when we, when we run into these folks that definitely are by nature, I think just a little bit more grounded and soulful in their way, the, to the contrast of, uh, <laughs> of you and I at times in terms of our, of our voice and our manner and these things. So definitely just appreciate all that she brought and, and shared with us. Yeah. And I was just really appreciate to understand her kind of position. And like you said, this this niche position that you don't even know is a job until you talk to somebody about it. And you, and then you say, oh, yeah, that should be a job. Somebody should do that. And so, yeah, we hope uh, we hope all of you out there found this informative. And I hope that you give yourself some affirmation in the mirror today and tell yourself you're great. And until the next time, we'll be working for you. Ciao, y'all.